You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Talking about what God has on us as an Acts 2 family. And as we're talking about these things, one of the things that came up was what we call expectancy. And it really translates to hunger. If you want to use biblical language, it really translates to hunger. Um, And so I want to talk about that this morning. What does it look like to be a hungry, expectant people? Now, we live in tension. We all know that, right? You know how we, what I mean by that is this. You can take the word of God and find a nugget inside there and hold on to it and run with it but then you can keep reading the word of God and you can find something that appears to say the exact opposite of what you learned before. It's true, right? I mean, Proverbs. I mean, right back to back. At one point it says, answer a fool according to his folly. And then the verse right after it says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. So which one is it? Yes. (laughs) It's both. It's both. Context means everything. Now, we are a people here that believe in the finished work of the cross. You're going to hear me talk about that a lot, if you haven't already. I talk a lot about the finished work of the cross. You hear me talk about how I don't want to be a people who are begging God to do something that he's already done. What that does is humanistic in nature, because it denies the, the work of Christ, and it puts it on us to accomplish something. Or we say, God, I want you to do something when he's already done it and it puts us in a place of passivity. But at the same time, there are things that God has given us that are ours that we still need to go after. There's a difference between having a million dollars in your bank account and having it in your hand. You with me? There's a difference. You can say, I have all these things, but until they're in your hand, they really don't have value. I'm a big believer in what God has already given us and not trying to work and strive to get those things. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1.3 says that you have been blessed. Are you ready? You ready to get knocked out with this? You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Yeah. Ephesians 1.3. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So how many spiritual blessings do we need to go after? Every. None. We have them all. But I think a lot of times we hold on to that as head knowledge and really don't go after it to access it. So it stays in our account, and we tell people that we have these things, but at the same time, we never go to the bank to make the withdrawal. There's something about being hungry, which is akin to going to the bank and making a withdrawal. Is this helpful? It's one of the most challenging things in the Christian life, to be full and to be hungry at the same time. Because I've been filled, right? But it's unique in the kingdom because the more I eat in the kingdom, the hungrier I get. In the natural, the more I eat, the less hungry I get. In the spiritual, in the kingdom, the more hungry or the more food that I eat, the more hungry I get. And I really do believe this, and I titled this this morning, that being hungry is healthy. Being hungry, it's a sign of health. Think about this for a moment. Maxie Jean back there. When she doesn't eat, do you get concerned? Usually what, when someone doesn't eat, what's that a sign of? Sickness. It's the same thing in the spirit. When we aren't hungry for the things of God, it's pointing to us and saying there's something sick in our soul. 
There's something that we need. And when we don't eat, when we're not ravenously hungry to go after the things of God, the things that are in the word, the things that are in people around us, it points to something that is wrong inside of our soul and there's, we're sick inside. I believe that we have such a wonderful church here. We have a wonderful, loving body of believers. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we were talking about as a pastoral team that we hear consistently from people who come into this church over and over again, the one constant we hear from people who are coming into this church is that they love well, that people love well. And I'll tell you what, that's, to me, that's the most important thing ever. I don't care how people are assimilated. I don't care how they agree with our doctrine. I want to know that people are loved well. Come on, can I get an amen to that? I'm going to start preaching here in a minute if you guys don't pay attention here. I want to know that when people come in here that they are loved well. We sang about it this morning, the love of God. I don't, I don't know why we complicate it so much in the church. We think that somehow we've got to come to agreement on doctrine before we can get along. When everything comes down to, it's love. It's love. It's absolute love. It's love. Do you believe me? It comes down to love. But the only way we can truly love is to see people the way God sees people, which is destiny, calling, assignment, kingdom. And the only way we're going to see that kind of stuff in people is to have a hunger and have a desire in us to know more about what that looks like. I want to know. I don't want to talk about what's in my bank account. I want to access it and have it in my hand. I think I've used this analogy before, and all analogy break down at some point. Anybody in here ever shop Craigslist or sell things on Craigslist? Yeah, I think we've furnished our entire house through Craigslist. We've bought cars, sold cars. We've done so much stuff on Craigslist. But here's what I've discovered about Craigslist. Cash is king. If there is ever going to be a transaction made from Craigslist, it's cash. I can't show up to a Craigslist transaction and show somebody a statement on what I have in my bank account. I have to have it in my hand. It's the same thing with the things of God. I can't talk to people about what I have in my bank account. I have to show them. I have to be able to hand it to them. They don't need a statement. They need cash. Is this, is this connecting? Is this making sense? In order to access that, though, I really believe it requires from us an attitude of I'm hungry. I've tasted and I've seen, as the psalmist writes, but when I taste something, I get a desire for it, and I want more and I want more, and I want more. How do we do that? How do we create hunger? I think testimonies is really, really important. Dave's really, really good at that, keeping this in front of us all the time. He's really good with keeping the testimony of what God is doing right now in the moment, right in front of us. Does that make you hungry when you hear those things? When you hear about somebody getting healed, somebody's destiny getting called out of them, the God gold inside of them getting called out, and somebody who didn't know them begin to speak into their life, and they start calling that out, isn't that good stuff? This is what we're about. That's the kind of thing, why we keep those things in front of us, because it makes us hungry. It makes us want to see more of those things. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I had you turn there, right? Look at verse 3. Here's God. He calls the, the people out of Egypt. And they're complainers. They're whiners. 
They say things like, oh, you should have left us in Egypt. It's better that we died there than here in the wilderness. Come on, anybody ever feel like that before? Good positive thinking. <laughs> he begins to feed them with this miraculous bread. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he says this, So he humbled you. How many of you know that when you're humble, you really get a lot more from God? You do. You know that? Here's what's interesting, too. It says right here that he humbled you. Did you know that in the New Testament, there is no verbiage about God humbling you? It says to humble yourself. Hello? It says to humble yourself. There's nothing in the New Covenant that says anything about God humbling you. It's us humbling ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. First Peter talks about it. James talks about it. So it says here, verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Manna's a funny thing. Anybody say manna? Does anybody know what manna means? Did you know what it literally means? This is what the word manna literally translates. What is it? It's what the word means. It means what is it? So here's God giving people something, and they call it, what is it? What is it? I think God's a jokester. I think he's Jehovah sneaky. I think he does really funny things. I really do. I think he does funny things. He has a humor, right? You know, God has a humor. It's a really good thing. Maybe we ought to learn that a little bit about in the church, that God has a humor. Where do you think we get it? We didn't make it up. It comes from him, right? We don't create anything. We're created beings. He has a sense of humor. It's like God is saying, look, I fed you with what is it, and you still don't know what it was. I fed you with what is it, and you still don't know what it is. And your fathers didn't know what it was. I don't know why it looks like that. That's literally what it says right there. I fed you with what is it, and you don't know what it is. Well, gee, do you think? <laughs> I mean, you feed me with something, I don't know what it is, so I call it what is it, and then you tell me I don't know what it is. And your fathers were the same way. Here's what I think. I think what God is saying here is he's saying to them, I ta I'm taking you into a mystery of what is it. I'm taking you into a mystery of what is it so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone. I'm taking you into a mystery of what is it. I'm feeding you with something, and you like it. You don't really know what it is, but it sustains you. Might I just suggest this, that this hunger thing has to do with that, that when we're really hungry, we get something from God. We might not be able to describe it, and we might not be able to say this is what it is, but we taste it, we get it, and it feels really good, and it sustains us, and all we know is we want more of it. Sometimes we're asking in our, in our places of need. How many in here have needs? How many here need things? Good, about 60% of you. The rest of you aren't going to get it then. <laughs> God gives to those who need. Those who don't need, they don't get. Right? The word even says that. To him who has, even what he thinks he has gets taken away from him. You've got to love the economy of God. It is so politically incorrect. It is. It's so politically incorrect. The economy of God is so politically incorrect. How many in here have needs? 
I do. I have all kinds of needs. I have all kinds of things that I want to know about God that I kind of know, but I've, and I've tasted some of it, but I don't fully know, and I want to know a little bit more. But the only way I'm going to access that is not by trying to study to fill my intellect. It's a heart cry that says, I God, I need more. Everybody do that with me a minute. Just hold your hand out here and say, God, I need more. I need more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. I need more. I'm really hungry for more. Lord, I've tasted and I've seen, but I want more. I want more. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were a people that started crying out with that kind of hunger that we started saying, God, I want more, I want more, I want more. And he started pouring it out so much that we couldn't understand it, that we would say, what is it? But at the same time, we're getting so much of it, we have to say, stop, Lord, stop, stop. Have any of you in here ever encountered God to such an extent that you felt like your physical body was going to collapse? Yeah, I have. I have. I felt it again this morning. I feel it off and on, but I felt it again this morning in prayer in there. I felt that I felt like I was just going to collapse into a pile of goo on the floor. You know what that is? It affects de- people in different ways, but that's the, that's the hunger. That's that thing inside that says, God, I'll take you, and I'll take you any way I can get you. I think that's funny that the word manna means what is it, because they ate it even though they didn't know what it was. How many times do we want things of God, but we want it to come in a package that we understand? We don't want it to be what is it. We want to be able to, be, to say, this is what it is. Sometimes we're asking for explanations to a situation we are in, and he desires to keep it a mystery so that out of the mystery, we come into the understanding that is higher than we are asking for. Does that make sense? Shall I say it again? Sometimes we're asking for an explanation to a situation we are in. We know we want something. And then God wants to give it to us, but we don't know what it is, and so we push it away. Sometimes we're asking for explanations to a situation we are in, and he desires to keep it a mystery so that out of the mystery we come into an understanding that is higher than what we're asking for. God gives manna. They say, what is it? They eat it because they know they need it, and it sustains them. They still don't know what it is, but it totally satisfies them. And they can't put their finger on it. They can't say what it is. What is it? What is it? This is the kind of hunger I'm talking about, the kind of hunger that brings us into a satisfaction that we can't explain to people around us. All we know is we're satisfied, and I can't describe it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody in here with me right now? Where you find the satisfaction, and somebody asks you, man, you're like, you're like filled up. You just feel so full of God. How did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just cried out for more of him, and I got more. And he took me to a level of understanding in him that I can't explain with my words. Remember, Paul talked about that. He said, I was caught up in the spirit and I saw things that can't be uttered. Not because it was illegal, because he didn't have the ability. I saw things. I caught hold of things that I can't even begin to describe to you what they're like. I'm talking about this. Come on, are you with me this morning? I'm talking about this kind of hunger. Hunger demands then that there's something that you, you risk it, you push it, you push the envelope just a little bit. You know, Proverbs talks about the man who stole bread to eat and he wasn't blamed for it. There's consequences for stealing. It doesn't mean you can go steal. Everybody hear me right now? I'm not saying go steal, right? There's consequences for stealing, but the, it also says that he's not blamed because he was hungry. Hello? What would it look like in the kingdom if we were that kind of people? where we pushed the envelope just a little bit because we were so hungry for the things of God. 
I'm so hungry for things that satisfy me, things that I've tasted and I've seen. Come on, can you feel me this morning? I'm talking about things that move you viscerally on the inside, that you can't figure it out, but you just know every time I encounter God, there's something that feeds me on the inside, and I want more of that. I want more of that. And we're able to say, God, I don't care what it looks like. I'll take it anyway. If it comes as manna, if it comes as, what is it? I'll still embrace it and I'll still eat it. I can't define it. I can't describe it. I can't quantify it. I can't qualify it. All I know is I'll eat it. I'll eat it. I've told you stories before about me personally in my encounters with God when I've had some pretty profound encounters with God. In every single one of them, I hit a crisis moment. Because sometimes we want encounters with God, but we want encounters with God that we understand. And every encounter that I've had with God came in a form that I didn't understand it. Every single one. Every one that moved me and radically changed me in a moment. They came in, in a way that I would see it. I knew it was coming, but I had to make a decision. I had a crisis moment in every one of them. Might I suggest to you that this whole thing with hunger is going to bring you to a crisis moment. It's going to bring you to a moment where you're saying, I see, I can feel something's happening right here, but I have to risk it and go into the unknown. I have to go into the what is it. I have to go into the, I, I'm a little fearful here, but I've got, I'm going to take the step anyway. Every time I've had an encounter with God, there was that, I call it crisis moment, and it really is. And crisis is not a bad thing. Hello? I call it a crisis moment because it happens almost in the blink of an eye, where the reality of God becomes so real to me that I can feel it. I can, all of my insides begin to resonate and vibrate with this one thing that God is doing, and I know that I want it, and I know that I need it, but I have to make a choice in that moment and say, I'm going to risk this and step into it because I don't know what's going to happen right here. But every time that I've done it, it has radically transformed my life. Every time. Every time I have yielded to the what is it, when I didn't know, every time I got fed with something and it made me crave him even more. Come on, are you with me this morning? What is it? Can we just choose to be a people right now that whenever God, those who are crying out and saying, God, that I need you, I really need you, can we choose to be a people right now and set the marker and say, whenever the what is it comes, I'm going to step into it anyway. This is hungry people. This is what hungry, expectant people look like. All I know is this. Every time I've encountered God and it's been good, it's been something that did not look good at the very beginning. My humanity, my self-life, can look at the things of God that are good that are coming to me and say, that is wrong, that's not right, that's off a little bit, that's discolored, I can't find that in the Bible, that's theologically wrong. I can do all that stuff. But the minute I step into it, I discover, oh my God, there he is. I like what Bill Johnson says, especially those who like to read the word. Anybody here just likes to read through the word? I read it all the time. I, I read it when I'm not reading it. I do. I read it when I'm not reading it because I've memorized so much of it. I can be on my lawnmower. I can be picking up the trash. I can be getting up in the morning. I can be pouring coffee into my cup, and all of a sudden the word comes to me, and I start reading the word. But it provokes me to go in and start looking at it again. What does that really mean? I love the word of God. We got word people in here. The word is true, right? I love what Bill Johnson says about the word. He says, God will never violate his word, but he has no problem violating your understanding of it. In other words, hungry people are okay with letting their understanding of the word get violated. 
Hello? One of the worst things you can do is come up with a doctrine and hold on, it tight, hold on to it tight-fisted like this. Because immediately when you do that, you're saying, God, you can't come in there. I'm not talking about changing the divinity of Christ, the sacrificial, uh, the sacrifice that he made, that salvation's by grace. I'm not talking about that stuff, guys. I'm talking about those other things that keep us from stepping into it. That we say we're hungry, but we're really not quite that hungry. <laughs> Trusting in a mystery will take you into greater revelation every single time. Trusting in a mystery will take you into revelation every single time. You may not end up with the explanations you asked for, but you will end up with the explanations that you need. Hello? You may not end up with the explanations that you asked for, but you will end up with the explanations that you need. Turn to Psalm 107 with me. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. If you don't have it, again, run, don't walk to your computer and click on Amazon. Psalm 107. <coughs> Here he's, he's writing in reference to, the writer is writing in reference to back when the people of Israel got out of Egypt, what we were reading about there in Deuteronomy, and they're recounting in Deuteronomy what happened with the manna. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 4, says this. Some of us, Some of us once wandered in the wilderness like desert nomads with no true direction or dwelling place. Starving, thirsting, staggering, we became desperate and filled with despair. Then we cried out, Lord, help us, rescue us. And he did. He led us right into a place of safety and abundance and a suitable city to dwell in. If you you recount the story of the people coming out of Egypt into the promised land, it's a wonderful story because God displaces people in the land and destroys them in order to let the people of Israel move into what had already been prepared for them. They get money, they get chickens, they get goats, they get farms, they get entire cities. Come on, does that sound good to you? This is the design of God. Even Isaiah 29, it talks about hunger. When we really get hungry, we cry out. And it says, in Isaiah 29, it says that God causes people to dream who are hungry. How many want to dream? I have dreams. Sometimes I have dreams. Sometimes they're more powerful than others. But he's saying here, hunger causes you to dream. I don't know about you, but I eat too much and I dream. (laughs) I hate too much in that dream, but I don't think those are God dreams. I think he's talking about a kind of hunger that's like the only, it's like God is saying when we get really hungry, when our spirit man inside gets really to the point where we're going, I know I'm full, but at the same time, I need something more. I need something more. And when our spirit man begins to be like that, when we go to sleep at night, it's like God gives us dreams and he says, I'm going to speak to you while you're sleeping because you wouldn't even let it in if you were awake. You wouldn't even allow your mind to go to this place if you were awake. So I need to speak to you when you're asleep. Come on, does that sound good to you guys? How many want dreams like this? I want dreams like this. I have, listen, I had a dream back in 2003. 2003. And you know what? You're sitting in that dream right now. You're sitting in it right now. I would have never 
ever come to this city, I would have never done what we're doing here had I not been in a place where I was saying, God, I need more. God, I need more. I need more. What I dreamed in 2003, I knew in part. I had no idea it looked like this. But what I know now is that's God speaking to me back then. Out of the hunger in my heart and saying, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. In other words, I don't want to ever become a person that's satisfied, yet I am fully satisfied. I'm absolutely fully satisfied, but yet I'm not satisfied. I love my wife. I've lived 27 years with her, but I'm not satisfied. Does that make sense? I'm not satisfied. I have even yet to discover, we have yet to discover what God has created for both of us in in marriage and in intimacy. Hello? I don't know that you're with me this morning. Hello? I'm trying to keep it in the natural here, and I know that it breaks down, but there are things that I know I have not discovered with my wife yet. After 27 years of marriage, there are things that I have not discovered that I know God has for us, but the only way I'm going to discover them is staying hungry. And I don't know about you, but in marriage, that's a very vulnerable place to be. It's a very, very, very vulnerable place to be. To say, I want to discover more about you, but in order for me to discover that, I've got to really break down some more walls here to discover it. I think it's the same way with God. God, I love you, and I know you're with me, and I'm with you, and my salvation is secure. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff, but at the same time, I want more of you. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying I'm going to be very vulnerable with you as well. Hunger, it has a way of moving people out of themselves and into something greater. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of songs that are written about this. Hungry. I think that Hamilton, didn't they have a line here that said hungry, scrappy? Right? In the the hungry, they're hungry, they're scrappy. I love that line in there. When I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's so much kingdom. It's people, they're talking about something in the natural where they want to create, they want to build, they want to do something, and they're hungry, they're scrappy, they're willing to go after it, they're willing to fight for it. There's something about being given everything that you need, and if you live inside of, being, of everything that you've been given, if you just live without any kind of need, you never really discover your passion because it's always there. Are you with me? You never discover your passion. What I'm saying is if somebody has, say somebody's like a child that grows up in a very wealthy family and the family sets them up for life and they don't really have to do anything, they never discover who they are. Never. Why? Because they don't have to get hungry. They don't have to get scrappy. They don't have to go out and make it happen. It's all given to them. I'm not talking about striving in the spirit here. I'm talking about going after those things that God has already designed. Did you know that people who are entrepreneurs, they don't look at things like, I need to go get this because I don't have it. They, need, they say, I need to go get this because it's mine. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. Entrepreneurs have an outlook that say, I need go after it to get these things because they're mine. I know I can have these things. Are you with me this morning? People in the kingdom, it's the same way. They look at it and they go, I know this is mine, but I'm going to go get it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to go get it. If I don't maintain hunger, I live off the interest, listen to this, I live off the interest of yesterday's investment and I no longer get put into a place where I become a transforming influence in society. How many want to move society? It's what we're designed for. We're not designed to change the political climate. We're designed to change the culture so the political climate changes it in turn. Hello? 
Don't get me going on politics. <laughs> Politicians will never change the world. It's believers who are hungry who change the world. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. Twelve uneducated men set the kingdom into motion following Jesus Christ and absolutely changed the climate of the world. Absolutely. I'm going to read that again. If I don't maintain hunger, listen close. If I don't maintain hunger, I'm speaking to myself here. I live off the investment of yesterday's, or interest of yesterday's investment. And I no longer get put in a place where I can become a transforming influence in society because God reserves transforming influence to the hungry. You can look at history and find it. Look at the great revivalists in history. Would you consider them hungry people? Oh, yeah. Fire breathers. Why? Because they tasted something and they said, my life no longer can look normal. My life can no longer look the same. Read the account of Charles Finney when he encountered God. It'll wreck you. Read the account of Smith Wigglesworth, of John G. Lake. Does anybody have books on people like that? You need them. God's generals. Yeah, come on. You need to get that book and read it. It'll start to feed you. It'll start to feed you with something that'll create a hunger in you that you didn't even know you had. It'll create a desire inside of you going, man, I want to see that happen. John G. Lake, dude was a beast. Dude was a freak of nature. He saw so many people healed. I think he's in Washington. Is that right? He wasn't in Oregon. It was Washington. He's in Washington. People would come to him for healing all the time. He just couldn't get away from it. He was just so known for people getting healed. People would come to him from all over the world. He finally went out into his front yard and laid his hand on a post and said, God, just let anybody who touched this thing get healed. Because he physically could not pray for everybody that came to him. And people would come to him to his house and they'd put their hand on that fence post and get healed. You want another story about John G. Lake? I just want to stir your hunger a little bit. John G. Lake, I don't remember the context of what he was in. It was like a scientific lab. Took some disease out of a Petri dish. He told the, the scientist guy right there who was working, he said, I want you to take a little bit of that disease and I want you to put it in my hand. And the guy was like, you don't want this stuff, will kill you. He goes, no, put it in my hand. So the guy took it and he put it into his hand and he let it sit there for a second. And then he said, now take it back and look at it under your microscope. He takes it out of his hand, puts it back under the microscope, looks at it and the disease is dead. Come on, does that give you, make you hungry? Yeah. Let me talk to you about being hungry and being okay with the what is it, with the manna when it comes and you don't know what it is. Smith Wigglesworth. He saw sickness as a direct demonic attachment. There is story after story of Smith Wigglesworth encountering people who had cancer. And you know what he'd do? He'd go up and slug them. Slugged one guy in the gut when he found out he had cancer. It was a liver or stomach. Goes up and slugs him right in the stomach. And his cancer gets completely healed. Is that offensive? That's manna. That's what is it? What is it? I'm not suggesting we pray for people like that here. I, I'm not saying, what, you got a headache? Come here. Come here, I'll take care of that headache. 
<laughs> Everybody wants to be on the ministry team. <laughs> Woo! We're going to have some fun. Come on. Look at him. He went out under the Spirit of God. No, he got KO'd. Yeah. <laughs> over and over. You want to hear another really offensive one about Smith Wigglesworth? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to make you hungry, but I want to move us beyond our normal here. There was a lady who had a young child that died. A baby. Brings the baby to one of his meetings. The dead baby. Brings him to one of his meetings and lays him on the platform where he's speaking. And he walks up and he kicks the baby off onto the floor. Baby comes back to life. That's manna. What is it? What is that? I don't know what to tell you. That offends everything inside of me. I can feel it in a room. It's offensive. It's documented. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's there. Take a look at it. Hunger's a gift. Do you feel it? Do you feel it even talking about that? Do you feel this tension of like, I'm a little offended right there. I don't know about this stuff, but at the same time, God heals people and he does it in ways that are absolutely outside our box. I, <coughs> excuse me. I love the fact <coughs> that in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see Jesus healing people and he never does it the same way. You know why I think that's so wonderful? Because if you did it the same way, all we would do is live on formulas. One minute he spits on the ground, makes mud, wipes it in the dude's face. Can you see? And he's like, ah, I kind of sort of see men. They look like trees. Another time, no, don't we love things like that? Spit in the mud. There's Jesus making it, right? We love that. So we want to make a formula out of it. But then another time, he takes another guy that's blind, takes him around the corner and spits in his face. It's in Mark. I'm not lying. Go look it up. He spits in his face. Oh, you're blind? Come here. <laughs> Manna. What is it? What is it? What is that about? I don't get it. All I know is that when I taste it and when I get it, it makes me hungry for more. And you can't live on yesterday's manna. Hello? You can't live on yesterday's revelation. Did you know the people of Israel tried to do that? They tried to gather up manna and put it in jars and save it because they know that it brought them nourishment, but the next day they went to open it up to eat it and it was full of maggots and worms and all that kind of really goody-goody stuff. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Proceeds. You know what, church? There's a big difference between a proceeding word and a preceding word. Hello? There's a big difference between a proceeding word and a preceding word. It says by every word that precedes out of the mouth of God. In other words, the only way I'm going to live is by getting what God is saying right now, not what he said before. There's life in what he said before. And it points to his nature, his character, and it gives us revelation about who he is so that we can get our minds renewed in order to see him in a different way. But what I need is that kind of word that comes right now that makes me hungry. That makes me say, God, I need you to talk to me right now. How many of you have things going on in your life right now you want questions? Daniel brought it up this morning. He wants to answer the question of your heart. How many people have questions in your heart where you're going, I need an answer right now. I need an answer right now. Let me just suggest that the way you get your answer is by not, look, by not looking for the answer itself, but by looking for the encounter. And then you get an answer that satisfies the need, but it takes you into a higher level of understanding. That's outside of our grid, though. We don't tend to think like that. We tend to think like, God, I have a need. You're going to fill my need. And then he fills the need. You know what the only problem with that is? God's not interested in filling your need. 
Ooh, I'm stepping on toes. He already filled your need in the person of Jesus. It was the need of humanity that moved him to the uttermost. Now he's moved by faith. You can talk to him about what you need. That's totally fair. But at the same time, you've got to step into faith and say, there's something beyond this right here. I want to learn. I want to learn more about your character, your nature, who you are. And when I get that from you, it's not going to only fill that need. It's going to take me into a higher understanding. Come on, are you with me this morning? Hunger, it's a gift. And I believe God gives it to us. It's established right there in Deuteronomy. They're hungry and they're crying out and say, God, we need you. And he's like, now I can do something because you're hungry. Now I can do something because you're hungry. Luke 1. 53. You don't have to turn there. It's the Magnificat. You guys know what that is? Magnificat, Song of Mary. Some of your Bibles may have that caption in there. It's when the Holy Spirit comes to Mary and says, you get to be the goody one. You get to be the one that brings Messiah in. And she begins to sing this song called the Magnificat. And in the song, it says this, making this declaration. It's a prophetic declaration coming from a woman, a young girl who had encountered God and she's seeing very clearly and she says this, he has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away empty-handed. When you look at the gospels, who was it that got Jesus? It was the hungry. It was the, one that were, the ones that were in need that said, I am at the end of my rope I absolutely need something. And all I know is I've been to doctors and spent all my life savings on doctors. If I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch his shirt just for a second, I would get what I need. It's that kind of hunger that gets it every time. But the rich, he sends away empty-handed. How many of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, religious rulers, those who are caught up in their religious uptightness, how many of those do you see coming to Jesus needing and what does he do to them? He amps it up. Rich young ruler. I've done this. I've done this. And I've done this. And I've done this. And he goes, go sell all you have. And he walks away sad. Why? Because he wasn't in a place of need. He was in a place of performance. Come on, Andrew. That's a good word. David got it. Dude was freakishly wealthy. Freakishly wealthy. And up until Solomon, he was the most wealthiest man around. And he says to God, I am so poor and needy. He had bounty, he had wealth all around him, but he remained in a place that relied on the goodness of God. I believe that's why he's called, one of the reasons why he's called a man after God's own heart. Of all the Old Testament characters that we see, David gets it. He was kind of a catalyst before Jesus of ushering in new covenant realities in the Old Covenant. He got it. He just got it. He saw new covenant realities before they ever existed. Look back at Psalm 107. I'm going to end with this. Is this helpful? Anybody getting hungry in here? I'm not talking about burritos. (laughs) Although I just said that. (laughs) Psalm 107 again. Now look a little bit later. Look in verse 33. Whenever he chooses, he can dry up a river and turn the land into a desert. Or he can take a fruitful land and make it into a saltwater swamp, all because of the wickedness of those who dwell there. 
but he also can turn a barren wilderness into an oasis with water. He can make springs flow into desert lands and turn them into fertile valleys so that cities, listen, cities spring up and he gives it all to those who are hungry. He gives it all to those who are hungry. I think in that passage right there, we're discovering something. That the blessed life gets turned into a place of need so you can discover how strong you really are. How many, could you, could anybody testify to this? That you've been in a place where you felt absolutely destitute? Where you felt like, I don't know how this is going to work out? And what you discovered in the middle of that place is you found another aspect of God that you could have never discovered unless you'd been there. I'm all about the blessings of God. Don't misunderstand me. And I believe God wants to pour out blessings beyond what we can understand, what we can comprehend. As a matter of fact, the word talks so much about it that we're designed as a people to be a witness to God's goodness by how wealthy we are. It's true. Wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous, right? I mean, all this stuff, you can, over and over throughout Scripture, you can see it over and over. You're designed to be wealthy. But don't just look for the wealth in the time of the need. Look for what makes the wealth sustained. Look beyond it. The hungry, I like this passage here in the passage translation because the hungry are the ones who get to establish a city. When I was looking into this, talking, when we were talking as a team about expectancy and hunger, I started really digging into it. And I started looking at it going, God, this is one element. I want everybody to hear me very closely here. This is one element because this is how I think. As a lead pastor of this church, I'm constantly thinking about the health and the direction of what's happening here. I think beyond our weekly gatherings. I'm thinking about what's going on beyond what's happening in this moment right here. And as I started looking into this and I discovered this right here, that it's the hungry people, it's the hungry people who establish a city. I'm like going, that's right. That's why we need to be hungry because we have so much vision to see a city changed. But the only way it's going to get established, the only way that thing is going to happen inside of a city is when we as a people get really hungry. How many want to get hungry with me? How many want to say right now, I'm not satisfied with what I've got. I want more. I want more. I want more. Say it again. I want more. I'm not satisfied. I want more. I'm really, really hungry. Yeah. All right, hold your hands out. Everybody stand up. I don't want to talk just in like big words and spiritual stuff. There has to be a practical, natural application to it. There has to be. And I know there are people in this room that are probably asking, how do I get hungry? How do I get hungry? Let me give you some practical application. Get the book God's Generals. That's a good place to start. How about getting your Bible and reading that? But let me, let me tell you to do something. Get a Bible that's a different translation than you've been reading. Seriously. I heard someone say once, because there is no such thing as a literal translation, because there's so many concepts that are inside writing, that anybody who translates the Bible, you're getting one person's theology. Get multiple Bibles. That way you get multiple approaches to it. You hear me? This is why I'm having such a, I I love message and I love passion translation, because they make me think different. Get that, get something, get Passion Translation. I'm giving you a practical, get message, get it, you can get it on your phone. It's real easy, you don't even have to pay for it. Get the Bible app, 
Start reading it, but reading it in translation that you're not used to. Is this helpful? This, this is how you start getting hungry. How many people want to be hungry? Yeah, I'm giving you practical on how you do it. Get the word out. Start digesting it. Get it in different translations. Start reading it and going, okay, oh, that sparked something inside of me. I'm discovering that when I read different translations, it gives me permission to see God in a certain way that I haven't seen him before. It gives me permission to do that. I don't know about you. I've grown up in the church with the King James, New King James. Ah, painful. And yet I own one. But it's painful. But it's painful for me to just digest that. I need something else. I need something else. Start with that. You need testimonies in your life. You need to hear testimonies. Are you with me? This is how you get hungry. Start digesting testimonies. You hear about somebody's where God gives them provision for something, you celebrate it with them and go, God, this is what you do. Yes, I want to see it more. God, this is what you do. You provide. You provide. I don't need to worry about lack. All I need to do is know that you provide. All right, so hold your hands out here. Yes, God. Yes, God. I don't know what it looks like. I don't pretend to know what it looks like. Holy Spirit, you know each individual in this room. I can't even begin to know each individual in this room, but you know every individual in this room. Oh, yes, God. Yes, Lord. I, be, I pray that you would do what it is that you do. You're comforter. You guide us into all truth, that you would begin to show us what it looks like to be really God-designed hungry. A people who are hungry enough that we're okay with saying, what is it? But at the same time, we eat it anyway. Ultimately, to find their satisfaction in it. And we just want more, and we want more, and we want more. Say, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. Come on, I'm not asking you to whisper it. I'm asking you to say it out loud. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. I want more. Come on, begin to say that. As you're saying that, I saw a picture of even your mind, the blocks in your mind being brought down so that you can actually access it. I want more. I want more. I'm hungry for more, God. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Lord, I'm saying I'm poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit, and I need more. I need more. I don't need more programs. I need more of your person. I need more of you. I need more of you, God. I'm praying that you will take me to a higher level, that I will be okay inside of mystery and not understanding and still crying out so you'll take me to a higher level of understanding. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Prayer team, go ahead and make your way up here. Come on, maybe this morning you just need somebody to agree with you, that you just want to pray with somebody and say, listen, I want that kind of hunger. I want to be that kind of hungry person because I want to see a city transformed and I want to see my mind renewed. You can begin to make your way up here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. One more. I want more. I want more. Make this a mantra. Can you do that? Can I give you some homework? Can you make this a mantra in your life where you just walk around for the next few days just saying, I'm hungry. I want more. I'm hungry. I want more. What you're doing is you're fasting from a meditation that's ungodly and moving to a meditation that's godly. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to call you to a fast. You want to fast? Let's fast fear. Let's fast depression. Let's fast all those things, right? Let's fast, let's fast lack. Let's fast all those things and start meditating on the goodness of God and saying, yeah, I want more, I want more, I want more. 
more and more of you. All right. And I pray this over you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life. 